Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about financial matters and what has been the consequence of over 24 years of continuous war on Islam. And we're going to entitle this War on Isil Gains Momentum While U.S. Economy Shudders Over Cost of 24 Years of Conflicts. We have witnessed a near-perfect storm of catastrophic events at the end of 2014 that threatened chaos in financial markets, plus an all-new phantom war against ISIS, the latest serial war on Islamic states. We discussed this in our last week, that would be the December 23rd podcast, War on ISIS and Evaporating Bonanza from Fracking Shale Oil. In recent weeks, the world crude oil prices have dropped by over 50%, an unheard of decline in what is probably the world's largest commodity market. Most recently, the stock market has seemingly begun a plunge from its stratospheric heights based on fears of domino action in the financial market. Chuck will talk about this. As always, our focus will be on a Christian response to these issues and where we can and should look or build confidence in the impending chaos that has been brought about by wars and the accompanying debt from these wars. We ask, what is the root cause of our financial crisis? It seems serial wars and the debt attended to it are and will be the blame. Chuck's going to talk about a book he just recently read. It's entitled Bad Money, Reckless Finance, Failed Politics, and the Global Crisis of American Capitalism by Kevin Phillips. It was actually written in 2008 and uh, still is is very apropos today and he really has some interesting things in there. And one of the surprises, of course it's not a surprise to anybody that listens to our podcast, is that our government is lying to us. They lie to us about the unemployment rates, they lie to us about the consumer price index, the inflation, and so forth. And Chuck will talk a little bit about that because that's one of the things that's been revealed in his book there that is not very well understood. Chuck? Thank you, Tom. And Kevin Phillips is an old-timer. He was in government back in one of the administrations. I think it was a Republican administration. It was Richard Nixon's back in 1968. He was some kind of advisor there. All right. Thank you. And uh, so that makes him a distinct veteran, and all of his books are are quite well written. The one that struck me, of course, uh, so strongly was the 208 book in which he analyzed the debt structure and the debt crisis and the way the debts had been altered and changed and the way the reporting was done. That book is called Bad Money, and it's quite a, a revealing book. And fortunately for Mr. Phillips, his thesis in the book was picked up by another organization, uh, by one John Williams called ShadowStats.com. ShadowStats.com is a private organization that keeps track of, of government lies in their statistics, basically. 
And what it provides for us is a very powerful tools to convince people that need convincing. Now, I don't suppose there are many listeners to this broadcast who would argue with anybody who says that we have considerable inflation in our country, that it's much higher than the 1% or 2% or none that uh, we're told uh, every month by the Federal Reserve System that we have. And the way this was accomplished, according to Mr. Phillips and according to John Williams at ShadowStats.com, is that back in 1990, the U.S. Department of Labor that keeps these statistics was influenced to change the way they run the statistics. most important one, perhaps, is the one that measures price inflation. And uh, ever since then, we've been told that our rate of inflation is about 2% or less per year. So from, 19, from approximately 2001, when this, these effect changes took place, to the present time, the rate of inflation has been actually, according to John Phillips's calculations, between 5 and 6%, sometimes more than that, sometimes less, but it's averaged about 5.5%, whereas the official figures we get from the Federal Reserve Bank and from our political leaders is that, oh, we have only 2% inflation. It really isn't quite enough. We need more. Now, most people know that their cost of living is going up much faster than that. For instance, when the first Gulf War started in 1991, gasoline was a dollar a gallon. It's been up to four cents then. You don't have to be a genius to know that that's more than 2% escalation a year. The same is true as food and, and everything we buy, taxes especially, medical care, cost of our insurance, everything we buy. But the statistics have been manipulated to keep these numbers down. And this constant manipulation is the most damning thing that you can possibly show to someone when you are uh, making the case how the government uh, lies to us about these important items. Now, what's happened in the recent weeks and months is that the price of oil started to decline rapidly sometime in about October, and that decline was sort of confirmed and recognized when it got below $100 a barrel and then to 90 and then it was the, oh, my God, experience, how low will it go? It turns out, as we've explained in previous issues uh, that Tom referred to, that what's taken place is that when we invaded Iraq in 2003, after previously destroying their military in January of 1991, the petroleum production from Iraq, of course, went to virtually nothing. Other states were also affected at the same time. And we had a radical escalation in the price of oil, and the price of gasoline went from a dollar to two or three dollars, depending on which month you look at. But we had a rapid escalation in oil prices because of this artificially war-created shortage that was developed. The oil companies in the United States were quick to respond to that, uh, believing that their government could always keep the price up to, to 100. They simply went ahead and produced oil that cost them $100 to produce, or at least in some cases $70, $80, or $90. This is called the oil shale boom. It's done through very modern methods of producing, which weren't widely used 50 years ago, and it produces oil at a very rapid pace and natural gas at a rapid pace, but at a very fast declining curb, 
and a high cost, a very high capital cost of getting the oil out. Now, when the price of oil dropped to below $75 a barrel, some of these fracking operations in play, well, they're all over the country, really, Texas and North Dakota are the two biggest fields, but there's oil shale found lots of places, and suddenly many of these production facilities are losing money, and it becomes obvious and apparent that not only are they going to have to slow down and shut down, but there's a good chance that they will not be able to pay their debts or that they don't want to pay their debts on this type of financing. So we suddenly have a huge drop in the price of oil, but it's also created a tremendous fear, and the fear comes from the idea that this drop in production may create a collapse of a credit bubble, a special credit bubble that was created to create oil in the fractured oil fields to begin with. And so we've seen now a response in the stock market, uh, and this is shuttering its way through the economy, and there is genuine fright in some places and fear and uh, a lot of panic possible. And all of this goes back to the greedy notion that we needed to capture Iraq to get control of its oil. Of course, now Iraq is producing oil in plenty because the U.S. has taken it over, turned it over to giant American oil companies and British oil companies. They're raiding and raping the oil fields of Iraq. It's producing more than it ever has before. And this is in turn causing the U.S. oil shale to suddenly be undesirable because it's uh, too high a cost. So this is the picture that we now see of all this giant manipulation. Out of all this, we've been told what's been hidden from us is the enormous debt structure that has gone in not only to the oil production, but into government finance to pay for all the wars that started this off in the first place. Uh, Kevin Phillips disclosed all this back in 2006. He talked about the potential crumbling that was going to take place. He talked about the risk of all the financing. And most interesting of all, he explained how the people that are doing this were going about lying to us. Uh, this is essentially what he has explained with, with the very able help of shadowstats.com. Now, our question as we look at this picture is we're not financial people. That's not our pursuit. Our pursuit is to try to expose and to get Americans to do the right thing. And our question as we look at all this is, how are we going to change Americans' thinking? It's good to have tools like uh, Kevin Phillips' book and uh, this uh, wonderful website that's so very readable. But where do we go? Who is going to make the change? We as individuals have no chance of doing that ourselves. We need a contingency. Uh, we need a, a large a number of people with some financial power. Who do we ask among the American people? Is it going to be the news media that's going to blow the whistle? Is it going to be a new administration that's going to come in this year? Uh, is it going to be our Congress that we've witnessed in action for the last uh, 25 years? Is it going to be public and private educational organizations and colleges? There are literally hundreds of these. Social clubs, ethnic hangouts. Who is it that's actually going to take upon themselves a responsibility to inform and to cause a basic change in the way our government is run that will insulate us from these kind of events. Okay, to the floor. Thank you, Chuck. I think it's interesting, you know, this period of 24 years that we talked about of, uh, of war, starting with the war 
in Iraq in 1991. We've seen an increase in the federal debt going from four to about $17 trillion, quadrupling of the debt spiraling to the point where can we ever repay it? No, <laughs> no one thinks we ever will. There's no possible way to, to repay it. Most economists and people will tell you that, and all you have to do is look at the fact that even without the defense spending, we don't balance our budget. I've read that if you were to tax the entire country 100%, you still could not repay it. So we have to, it's like all of our income put together cannot repay this debt in the entire United States. Yeah, Very, that's, that's we're in the same position. true. Those are the kind of statistics that you'll find in these publications, and they are, they are shocking statistics, but that is true. Our leaders don't intend to repay this debt. We don't know exactly when they intend to default on it. We don't exactly know who they're going to pass it off on, but it certainly can't be good for us. Nope, definitely not. Well, there are certainly financial things that get people's interest. That seems to transcend. Most people don't understand it. I, it's a mystery to me, a lot of this. Excuse me. There was an interesting article from The Telegraph, a U.K. publication, and it's entitled 10 Warning Signs of a Market Crash in 2015. Excuse me. Come back to the solution. Of course, our objective has all along been that none of these organizations I mentioned have any promise of straightening out the problems we have because they have been complicit in things happening in the first place. A new administration won't do it. Uh, it'll be a Republican administration. The present Congress won't do it, and there's no reason to believe a slightly different one would. Public and private educational organizations, there are lots of colleges. There are 251 seminaries in the United States. And this takes us closer to the issue. We have said all along that if somebody is going to change this, it's going to have to be done with a moral perspective rather than a perspective of financial greed. Because the first impulse you have when you look at these problems is maybe you ought to get out of the country. The people who hopefully will stay here and fight it out will be, of course, the churches. And so our question, of course, is why aren't the churches responding to this? I, I recently had a discussion with a pastor of a pretty conservative church, and he told me, I'm into what Jesus says about loving your neighbor. I'm into what Jesus says about peace. I'm into what Jesus says about taking care of those in need. But what I'm not into is politics, and I don't plan to get into it. And so this is an attitude of a lot of good people who are in church and are simply afraid to open the gate to discuss something that might be construed as being political for fear they're going to suffer somehow in their mission work or, or perhaps financially in their organization. But they're kind of dodging the issue because these really are, some of these are really moral issues. You look at the, the what Americans, and this would include Christians, have gotten themselves into debt. They kind of mirror what our government does. Yeah. So we have a very low savings rate and so forth, so we've violated... God's laws. Tom, the uh, Kevin Phillips book brings that out in one of its uh, exhibits, that the growth of personal family, they call it household debt, is almost parallel in percentages to the growth of government debt. Uh, it just coincidentally tends to work out that way. As the government gets more in debt, somehow or another, families have a way of getting more in debt. 
Well, the way the money is created these days, the interest rate at such a low level, basically zero, banks can borrow at zero percent. And so why would they fund a loan or a mortgage when they can get it from the government for a zero percent rate? So basically, when you go and take a car loan out, you go and take a mortgage out, you're adding to that national debt because the banks in big chunks, much bigger chunks, they just go get the money from the government. And so essentially, that's part of the reason why it's paralleling the growth of the debt is because as we borrow, we create money out of thin air by the banks borrowing it from the Fed, and they just write a check for it that comes out of thin air. So it's really an insane system. And I've been studying the shadow stats for about a year in my gold business, and uh, it's an amazing sight. I've found some other things that of that four to seventeen trillion dollar increase. It's over half of that is directly war-related costs. They're around six to seven trillion in war-related costs in that time. So half, over half, maybe sixty percent of that growth in federal debt is directly due to our wars. And uh, I found other sites that show the war costs of the Vietnam War and all the way back to the Revolutionary War. It's really interesting information. I'd like to point out one other thing about the shadowstats.com, and that is the monetary base and the unemployment charts that you can see there as well. If you look at if the government has changed the formulas for those as well. They first changed the CPI or the inflation equation in 1980, only nine years after they took us off the gold standard, when Nixon temporarily took us off the gold standard. So nine, nine years later, if you'll remember, you know, 20% home mortgage rates, everything was really going out of control in just nine years of taking off our, our restraining of the gold standard. And so nine years later, they had to change that equation the first time in 1980. You'll see in the shadowstats.com there's a 1980 chart and a 1990 chart. And when you go to the 1980 chart, that's really the one that, that uh, shows you, you know, what we were beforehand. So, so now there are six different unemployment calculations, U1 through U6. And if you look at the, the effective unemployment that shadowstats calculates it's upwards of 25% unemployed or people who were employed before all of this mess it's now we're at 25% they've either got part-time jobs if you look at their total effective monetary income it's a 25% effective unemployment rate which is astounding compared to our what 7% or 6% that the government has given us and then the monetary yeah. charts are really important as well because they show that in the last since 2009 they've doubled our monetary base and so really what that's when you look at the amount of money in circulation before they started all these quantitative easing bailouts if you look at that money you'll see that our monetary base is, is like doubled in in like five years and to me the stock market today is just a fairy tale based on imaginary created money from the Fed so because they're just pumping so much, they've doubled our monetary base. Really, they've halved the value of it. And now our, our stock market is showing 18000 which really is probably 9000 because everything's been doubled. So that's just my spiel. Well said. And, and like you said, who's going to tell the world this? You know, the media is not because they're owned by the same people that are creating this mess. So we can't go to the media I think the churches is a great way to do it. 
But, Chuck, you were asking, what's wrong with our churches? Why aren't we letting this out? And I think a big part of it is the Schofield study that you have on your website, how the churches are being deceived by basically Oxford University Press, which comes from the Rothschilds, which are the people behind all of this. So, you know, I think we need to really point out the Schofield deception, and then we can get to the churches. And we do find elements of this Schofield teaching or dispensational teaching in every church, even the most conservative, fundamental, basic church that doesn't know it's there. And we have to differentiate between the churches that basically sell from the Schofield Study Bible, such as the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and, uh, and the churches that don't, that they don't make a practice or have it in their theology that Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, let's say. So we've done a lot of work uh, differentiating among churches and trying to point out which churches are, are the best, better candidates to expose your children to. But whatever churches there are, and there are some 320,000 churches in, in the United States, the message to be effective has to somehow reach those churches and those church leaders. And that's a, that's a big task that we've taken upon ourselves. All right, well, thank you, Glenn and Chuck, for your comments, and we hope we've given a lot of food for thought. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film Christian Zionism The Tragedy and the Turning Part 1 Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people Start small, think big and press on towards the straight gate